Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Final hour, just like that, Outkick 360 on the Wednesday edition. Broadcasting across the Outkick network, we say good afternoon. Hopefully the afternoon turns into the drive home for you post-work. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. That's where you can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and everywhere in between. You can find the podcast the exact same way wherever you download your audio. Sixth and Peabody, our location here in Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, headlines out there. Uh, Associated Press had the report early this morning, at least that's the first I saw it, was uh, that, that the NFL and the NFLPA could come to some type of settlement, discipline settlement for Deshaun Watson, where the NFL would come to terms with the NFLPA on a six to eight game suspension for Deshaun Watson with the guarantee that there would be no appeal on that. Nothing has come of today's hearing as far as news is concerned as we open the final hour of the show. And we'll keep you updated on the the Watson hearing with Judge Sue Robinson, who's hearing the discipline case on behalf of the NFL and NFLPA for Watson. The uh, speaking of uh, just judges and committees, we last week were discussing Goodell in front of the U.S. House Oversight Committee. The Senate Judiciary Judiciary Committee is looking at an aspect of Major League Baseball that could change their minor league structure. They are examining the legality of MLB's antitrust exemption, which could lead to whether or not their current structure, their minor league structure, is in fact the best and fairest way to go about the climb to the majors and how they treat everything. Uh, Interesting to follow because we've long said that they have way too many uh, things beneath the surface of Major League Baseball for for the minor system, and it's been reduced in recent years. But even still, I mean, you could point to several instances where it just seems like overkill in certain cases. Well, they don't treat these guys very well in most instances. I I remember a list that came out not too long ago that kind of had check marks and columns you know do they provide housing if they do you, you have a single room or you're expected to share the room you know what kind of food and a lot of it's counterintuitive it really is i mean you think of how much the nfl wants to get their hands on guys and how eager it is to feed them and get them on nutrition plans how some teams give them you know specific protein shakes at specific times of the day with their names on them that suits a particular guy at a particular position's diet, and the Major League Baseball is content with guys piling out of the clubhouse and going to the Wendy's or the Chicken Shack across the street. Uh, I would think they'd value their commodities. We know the hit rate is less, 
But if one of these 15 guys, just one, is going to turn out to be a major player for your franchise, even for four years, five years, and he's a building block, wouldn't you want to start to nurture him in every way possible as soon as possible? They don't take it that way at all. They, well, there's they too many players. They don't value them that way. I think if the NFL or the NBA or any other pro sports organization had six or seven teams to worry about and all these rounds and all these guys coming Nobody through, has six or seven. they would send them off to Wendy's also. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's, it's too much. There are too many players, too so, many teams out there, and I don't put more pressure on the major league teams to get the drafts right. I mean, if you're going to do something, if you want everyone to get treated – professionally and have a professional diet plan and workout regimen and give them great living conditions, then have less teams, have less rounds. But also in doing that, you know, people that want to complain about these guys have to travel in a bus and they get a, well, they're also get to say they're professional baseball players. And you're going to eliminate a lot of jobs doing that. They can go make a living doing a lot of other things. It's not nearly as cool as saying you're a professional baseball player. And maybe the trade-off is a bus ride or not the best meal plan or whatever it is, but there's a lot of guys who are willing to make that trade-off. I don't mind the in bu- order to do I, I don't mind the bus ride and stuff like that, the hardships of it, but I do mind the stuff that affects your play, like the nutrition stuff. And I don't think it's asking much for you to spend if you're a Steinbrenner well, this is, some money that reaches into your minor league system and might help develop you. This is more about Major League Baseball assuming control of the minor league system, which they didn't necessarily regulate to this extent, if I'm reading the report right, until 2021. And they're using the antitrust exemption as part of the reason why you know, they, they point to uh, on the argument on behalf of the minor league players improvements in pay and living conditions because right now the salary range for minor league players this season is between $4,800 and $15,400 for their, their, their salary based on where they're drafted. And then the, the contract, the way it reads is that a team has the right to, a, you hold the rights to players for a total of seven years in the minors and seven more if the player reaches the majors not just stays in the majors, but reaches the majors with no option to play elsewhere professionally unless the team releases the player. So I guess you can't just... It's pretty restrictive. And so the Department of Justice and you've got uh, the Senate committee through um, Senators uh, Chuck Grassley and Richard Blumenthal and uh, several others. Um, The chair of the committee is Dick Durbin from, from Illinois. You've got this bipartisan group looking at the antitrust exemption, specifically that, and trying to figure out if Major League Baseball more or less is using this as a loophole to, in order to pay and then treat the minors a certain way. Underpay. Certainly those salaries sound like they would wind up being less than minimum wage. I, I've always confused how anything exists that allows somebody to get away with that. That's not tip-based. Yeah. Because you, you know pay... The service industry people below that as long then, as they're getting tips. And then if there's a loophole where you hold their services for seven years and then if you – I don't know how what the length is. If you put like them up to the majors, right, what kicks in there contractually just for you know the, the drink of water Retaining at the majors rights. for the, the contract to then continue? Uh, Chad. Me- meanwhile, by the way, 
Yes. Uh, this is just coming down from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. 76er star James Harden has declined, declined a $47.3 million option to become a free agent. Is he getting that money on He the keeps real the possibility of negotiating a new deal that would deliver the Sixers roster-building flexibility in free agency. So, think about that. Who's paying him 47 Russell million? Westbrook, a day yesterday, opted for that option with the huge amount of money with the Lakers, and James Harden declines it. Well, this also affects the storyline of the 76ers because they traded for him in the middle of the season, and it never really latched on. And they ended up being one of the disappointments based on where they were around January, February. So, um, and you, you've got one of the best players in the league that's now without James Harden, but they didn't improve with him. So, is this a, is this a benefit in a way by not having Harden? It seems like a a win-win. I don't know that it's a win-win. It's a win for the Sixers. I don't know that it's a win for Harden based on what he's going to get on the open market. It's a curious decision. And it also is worded in a way that's basically saying he's maybe doing this to f- give ro- roster flexibility to the Sixers where oh. he may sign there. So is this a hometown discount scenario for a team he's There's barely no played on? There's no way he's giving a hometown discount. Exactly. He's going to make so more. So it's crazy. But if, if there's a loophole there for the an, the annual average salary or whatever it is, um, maybe that exists. I, I think this is one of the toughest things in sports with these NBA guys who don't play hard all the time. How do you invest in them and how do you get through to them to get them to play hard <laughs> closer to 100% of the time, knowing it's not going to be 100% of the time? But that, that – I, I couldn't handle it as a, as a fan. That's why it's not my sport. I couldn't handle it as a coach. I couldn't handle it as a teammate. I, I, I don't know how you watch that and know that the guy uh, probably isn't giving me a full game tonight uh, and, and you know might not show up for Thursday night's game in terms of any kind of effort. And he's going to make $47 million for it. Yeah, and it's up to him on whether or not he wants to make that. Yeah. You know? The team is kind of just waiting on him to what, figure out if he wants to make 47 or become a free agent. Yeah, he turns it down in Philadelphia and somebody else. It seems to be no question that somebody else will give it to him. Uh, it's, it's hard to figure out some of these contracts for, for the NBA. Chad, your review of Elvis, the latest film. Deliver it in Elvis's voice. I will not do that. Um, I, I did not have a, an Elvis impression. It's... Very, very good. I, I would describe the movie as powerful. And what I mean by that is the music is powerful. The volume at which it's played in the movie is powerful. There are big moments in pop culture history that are covered through the movie in a very grandiose way. Um, I, Baz Luhrmann's an interesting director. Anyone who's seen Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes knows what I'm talking about. Australia, Moulin Rouge, Great Gatsby. Uh, Great Gatsby, was his last film was nine years ago, 2013. Has not done a full-length feature since then. The beginning of the movie is very abrupt because it takes you a minute to get yourself set in that world. Like the, It's not shot like most movies, right? So in the right when it hits, you're thinking, what, what is this? It's kind of uh, disorienting to start the movie, the way it's shot and the way it's done. The guy who plays Elvis, Austin Butler, should win every award known to man. He is unbelievably believable as Elvis. The speaking voice he does for Elvis, I mean, you think that 
he's lip syncing Elvis's voice, which he is when he's singing, which makes sense if you can't sing like Elvis, who had a huge voice. And it's the music scenes are great. I'm watching performances in Vegas, performances from the 1968 NBC special that was Elvis's sort of comeback to the original Elvis. And the amount of time, I say this about any biopic where you got someone that everyone knows and has seen, the amount of time spent researching, watching YouTube videos, watching a performance to nail it in a way, I think of this with Rami Malek on Bohemian Rhapsody, to nail Freddie Mercury that way on the Live Aid performance. I mean, movement for movement throughout a 12-minute sequence in a concert. It fascinates me. Austin Butler nails that a number of times with live performances and the way he can channel Elvis physically. There's a physicality to Elvis and playing him that I think this actor absolutely crushed. Someone who I didn't even know, uh, you know, going into this. I had to look up what he, what he has done in his past. He's 30 years old. I thought it was really well done. And Tom Hanks, uh, the best compliment I could play to Tom Hanks is, I forgot Tom Hanks is in the movie halfway through it because he completely goes into this character of Colonel Tom Parker that you don't see Tom Hanks. You don't see the Tom Hanks you know on the screen the whole movie. It's, it's, it's really well done. It's no Top Gun Maverick, but I would recommend going and seeing it on a, on a big screen if you get a chance. So um, we were we were watching. I'm, I'm trying to confirm this before I make myself look like a fool. We were watching the MTV Music Awards, which still exist. Um, and did they play music at them? They they did. And so, all right, let me go back to the Elvis question first, Chad. Is this the actual like? Are they using tracks from Elvis's? catalog or is this someone singing Elvis's music as Elvis does that make sense like is someone voice tracking this no this is I have not so let me let me tie it, it in it's him lip syncing like I'm, I'm okay. pretty sure it's Elvis recordings so, they've amplified but it's not his singing voice okay mimicking so, Elvis his speaking voice is Elvis is perfect the, this music, music artist and, and Gracie Fontaine may rip me for however I say his name is it Sway Lee Okay, Sway Lee and Diplo. They did this performance of, of Tupelo Shuffle is the name of it at the MTV Video Music Awards that Claire DVR'd for some reason. And it's on, and I'm watching this, and it, it was awful. It was just pure torture. But they gave credit to the actor playing Elvis for the vocals in the remix. So I'm thinking, oh, this guy is actually going to perform all of this stuff in the film. I, and that was actually the best part of this whole remix that I heard that night. Now, I don't know if the... Is Arthur the guy's name? Or who's playing him? I'm not sure. But um, maybe it's not the actual guy who's acting as Elvis, but it was someone so, that, that was Elvis on the soundtrack that he was lip syncing to. So uh, that makes it more impressive just, if he's pulling that off too, if he's actually singing. So Joaquin Phoenix actually sang as yes. Johnny Cash and was really good. Reese Witherspoon also sang in that that movie was good, believable. The Buddy Holly story. I just looked was it up. Austin Butler spoke to a USA Today. It's Gary Busey. He clarified that Austin, not Arthur. Austin. Thank Austin you. Butler. Yep. He sang some of the performances of early Elvis Presley because the original early fifties recordings 
were not high quality enough to use in okay. this film. So that's what it's The rest about. of them, he said, mostly Elvis, but my singing voice is blended in with the vocals to create a louder vocal for the movie. Um, but I, I'm watching the, the... I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. there's the last time Elvis sang in Vegas that he was actually on film singing is a part of this. And when you hear it, you know right away, this is not Austin Butler singing. And parts you. of the TV special, there is no way. Like I, I can watch Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix, and I'm thinking, this is a really good Johnny Cash impression. This is not Johnny Cash. Like There are parts, you can tell it's Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash trying to sing with that deep and that, that, baritone that voice. That makes that film better. Yeah. Because of how he portrayed... Like, that's why I'm, I'm intrigued to, to learn which parts is him versus which parts he's lip Well, there's, there's a here. couple of concert performances. One in the film where uh, he wasn't actually arrested, but I think in the movie, for dramatic purposes, he gets arrested for moving his hips too much in a provocative way, which he was known as Elvis the Pelvis. Early on, <laughs> yeah. it was a big controversy because <laughs> he was getting women too excited during his performances. But he's doing so much on stage and singing so perfectly, you know he's lip-syncing. Because no human could do the things he was doing physically on stage at yeah. the time and not be out of breath or change their voice in some way as they're doing it. Does this and end, the vocals are perfect as he's doing it. Does this end with a bathroom drug overdose at Graceland? Uh, I will give this part away. Thank God it does not. They do not uh, demean Elvis and show him on a demean toilet. Demean him by showing him... Uh, Dead on a toilet. What he... Yeah. Demeaning to show what happened? Well, I mean, th there was a big... I listened to a podcast uh, in the last year about the someone had the autopsy footage or mm -hmm. autopsy photo of dead Elvis that was trying to sell it. And really? uh, it was like a big bidding war, you know, to, to buy it. But there was someone who was like, I don't, I don't want to, I, it's disrespectful to, to show that. Um, yeah. They don't get into where he was when he died. Um, they do get into where does it cut off then? Just why well, it cuts off with his death, but it explains his death. Okay. And that he dies at 42. And it does a good job of illustrating just why the guy had a heart attack at 42 years old. See, I'm... I'm too, much, too much peanut butter. I want to see the, this. Too, too much... Everything. I want to see this because um, I really enjoyed Walk the Line. And that can... Like, there are parallels with how I will compare this film to that. And I don't go out and watch many movies. But this is one that I feel like... And you say it's really long. Did it feel long? This is one that I'm interested no, it, in watching because of the history aspect behind it. It didn't feel long because uh, I looked down at one point, I was like 42 minutes into the movie, and uh, Angie even looked at him and said, man, they've covered a lot of ground already. Like, you're through some hits, you know, in the late 50s already where he's on the traveling southern circuit and then with, uh, you know, kind of moving his way up. But I'm thinking they've already, they've gone through Sun Records and a big part of Memphis already, and they've done this, and I'm thinking... This is moving fast. Just for context. It does never feel like it drags in one time period. Just for context, what's the sense. last movie you thought was long? Um, Philomena? I don't know that... Because uh, there are a lot of movies that are long that you come back and say don't feel long. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not watching Jurassic Park, honestly, because the reviews have been so bad that I've lost interest in seeing You're it. not missing anything. Um. You, uh, you could walk in the second half of that movie and be entertained and leave knowing you saw there, everything there, you I'll, I'll give you the, the example. The Marvel movies that went over two hours, while I found them enjoyable, 
way too long. And I'll back Chad up on the Top I, Gun. I can fast forward through it's every not, action it's sequence long, in a Marvel movie. It doesn't feel long. I, it's, no, I buy it on Top Gun. Um, and it, I, I mean, if, it, if, if Elvis is entertaining, I'm, I'm all in. I don't care if it's three hours. Well, there's a, a part where I, I looked at my watch just seeing, okay, you know, how much longer. I like to kind of predict what, what portion of the movie are we in. And uh, I was never thinking, man, I can't believe we're only this far in. Like I said, the only time was 45 minutes in. I'm thinking they've gone fast-paced and covered a lot of ground in the first 45 minutes. It doesn't feel like it's dragging at any point. Um, I'll give you a biopic that felt really long to me. Ali, the Michael Mann Ali with Will Smith. Because they get stuck in that you know, Vietnam draft-dodging portion of it for so long that it draw, you know, it drags on and on, and there's, you know, s- uh, songs playing while he's jogging and looking out into the distance, and that takes forever. The concert sequences and the musical sequences in this are so fun that I think if I compare that to the Marvel movie where the action sequences drag on way too long, and you know everyone's going to be fine at the end of them that you could fast forward through, that's why those movies feel long. This feels shorter. Because I want more of the concert sequences. Remember the uh, musical element of it. I could have even had more of it because it was so good. I remember um, at the time my sister went like three times to watch Titanic when it was first released. But part of the recruitment to get you to go watch was how long of a film it was. Like that was part of the well, appeal. A- epic somehow. Like uh, well, it was like uh, it's only. I just looked up Titanic. It's only twelfth all time in film length. The Irishman was longer. The Irishman is long. It Irishman took me three sittings to finish it. Like that's one that you have to grind. Did out. the Irishman drop to all at once, or did they do it in two parts? No, I can't no, remember. It was all, all at once. once. Okay, yeah. I, I downloaded it. I remember it watching flight. it in like four or five different parts too, but I couldn't remember if it was like half and half, where they had almost an intermission. The Irishman in the is tenth. It is it top ten all time for longest films. In, in one release. I think it may have lasted me longer than a flight to California and then I finished it going to bed that night in a hotel. I really liked The Irishman. That was good, but I, like it, it. I could not sit down and watch it start to finish in one sitting. Like, I, I stopped it and just said, this is a good pause. Like, I, I'm halfway through. It's a two-shot. Gone with the Wind, longest film of all time. By How the way. How long? Gone with the Wind, three hours and 58 minutes. Uh, Once Upon a Time in America, three hours, 49 minutes. Lawrence of Arabia, 3.36. And Ben-Hur, 3.32. That's your top four. So this is a a future summertime topic for us. It's interesting to me how if you pair a a pop culture and just overall cultural legend like Elvis with a filmmaker, because you know when you start this project, Baz Luhrmann, an Australian guy, has not done a movie since 2013. Why? And he's been gesticulating on this idea and Elvis and all that for a long time. But why does Baz Luhrmann get to do it? We knew this was going to be the definitive Hollywood take on Elvis. They may do something 100 years from now, but this is the first. This will be the most definitive. So Baz Luhrmann gets to do it. He does a good job with the material. I'm not bashing the guy for what he did, but... You know, the Johnny, and it wins Oscars, but Johnny Cash and his story in Walk the Line is done by Jimmy Mangold, who had not done a ton at that point. How was he trusted with that? Jim, James Mangold, by the way, writing, directing the next Indiana Jones movie uh, with Harrison Ford also, which is going to be a big job for him and big assignment. But 
Like, how do you... Martin Scorsese gets the Jimmy Hoffa story with the Irishman and the true memoirs of a, of a hitman, right? But Jimmy Hoffa's a big part of it. Okay, sign me up. Perfect sense. Yes, Martin Scorsese should, should get that and be assigned to direct that with yeah. Robert De Niro and Pacino and everyone in that film. But the other ones, I don't know. That's, there's so many good filmmakers that could have done a great take on Elvis that I would still like to see what they could do with it Paul, if they were going to make a movie about Elvis. You were a part of, what, 20 seconds of The Deer Hunter? Uh, How long were you on film? On, on but, screen, as I remember at the time I saw myself on screen, I, I thought, you know, Four seconds, probably. All right. Four, you were four seconds of the 18th longest-running film of all time. It was long. And most people, compl- when they complain about the length, they complain about the, Your the two scenes that I was in. The length that you were in. Well, the wedding and the reception. The wedding and reception. Which I complain long. about you not being on screen long enough. Yeah. In the sets 18th the, longest film of all time. sets up the, the home. It's right, it's right in front of Wolf of Wall Street. I remember <laughs> watching The Deer Hunter and thinking, I didn't really know what it was going into it at all, and obviously watching it years after it came out, and thinking, man, this is a big buildup for a Russian roulette movie. <laughs> like, I did not get that. That was a big twist to me watching. I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was going to be a movie, ultimately, about Russian roulette. It was going to be a big part of it. God, but it was. freaked me out as a eight-year-old. I watched that as an eight-year-old. My brother didn't take me out. I watched uh, Fatal Attraction as an eight-year-old, and got about 15 minutes in, and my parents sent me to my room. Said, okay, maybe this isn't for you. This goes back to my parents not apparently looking at a rating uh, for a movie or knowing anything about it. The rating it going system into was it. not for the winter. No coincidence, it coincides with the year that Chad became a man. That's <laughs> true. Eight. Eight. Some people wait until they're 16. Um, some 13. Yeah. Some 25. Me, eight. If you eight were, if you were bar mitzvah, you would have been real early. Also, Fatal Attraction is going to be a TV series. What? Remade his TV series That's ridiculous. with Joshua Jackson in the Michael Douglas role, who Hutton knows as Pacey from Dawson's Creek. This is absolutely ridiculous. Who's very good in The Affair, but, but which you like that show like I did. Like, what, 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 what network is putting this on? I think it's Peacock. It's absolutely ridiculous. Give me this. No, 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 no. Sorry, Paramount Plus. Absolutely it's a ridiculous property. that there are so little. I've complained about this over and over that you can't find any television that you're going to go back 30 years to a movie, recast it in some ridiculous fashion, and turn it into a television series when anybody of the age that would watch it knows how it ends and what happens. It's so stupid. Write something new. Coming up, the effect of Manning in Texas. We'll tell you next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. From 6th and Peabody in Nashville, Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Glad you're with us. The Manning effect on Texas, man, when it rains, it pours. You've got Arch Manning who commits to Texas, and less than a week later, as of yesterday, Chad, they had nine commitments that followed this. They've had nine in the – it was like an eight-day span since Arch had committed that have followed suit. That is, that is what happens most of the time when you get a top – you know, the top quarterback in the country especially – but someone of that celebrity status in Arch Manning. But you get a top quarterback and players will follow, especially on offense, and we've seen that now with, uh, with Texas. It, but it, I didn't expect it to happen this quickly. I thought it would take a little bit more recruiting from Arch Manning to make it happen, but people are falling in line. So they get the number one player in the class of 2023, and you've got Sarkeesian, who has a, a slogan of all gas, no breaks. And this fits that perfectly with how things have fallen into line. And he's done a really nice job, he and his staff, of how they've mentioned this last week. They, they have started by building from the trenches outward. So last year's recruiting class was heavy offensive and defensive front. And now you're seeing more being poured on top of that. And it really starts with Arch Manning who comes in a year from now. And I forget the number, but remember one of the early NIL reports was, I think there's two big Texas Longhorn collectives. One of them was solely focused on offensive and defensive line. That was it. And they're giving them like 100,000 a year, some flat rate. 50 grand. 50 grand maybe to start uh, in NIL, which was smart. And I think it's it's just offensive linemen, in fact, that they were paying 50 grand a year, uh, which we talked about maybe the early struggles with NIL in a locker room was – what happens when everyone who touches the football gets endorsement dollars? Talking about what NIL was created to be, making money off your own name, image, and likeness. And then the guys who have to do all the dirty work get upset that the receiver, the running back, the quarterback are making a ton of money and they get nothing. Then you're going to have group negotiating ploys with the offensive line wanting to go and get money as a group so they get covered as well. And then immediately you had the report about Texas doing it. Arkansas, they have like the Hogs, where they every offensive lineman got some. They signed a deal together with some company in Arkansas. So some of this is starting to fall into place. Consider this: so you have Saban who stands up in front of, and it was a it was a sales pitch to those that are boosters and donors to Alabama, saying, "Hey, A and M's buying all these players. We're we're not number one right now. We can't keep up with, and he's pointing, he's alluding to the money that's being donated versus the money he needs, right, for the program moving forward. If you're Sarkeesian, if you're Texas, and you've got Manning on board, 
how do you not do the exact same thing moving forward, pointing to A&M, and especially knowing that you're going into the same conference yet again with A&M who doesn't want to compete with you, which is the reason why A&M wanted them out to begin with. The Sarkeesian, I, I said last week, it felt like for it was officially official that Texas was joining the SEC when a Manning chose them over Georgia and Alabama. Now, that part of that's tongue-in-cheek because he's welcome to join any program across the country, no matter who's coaching there or what conference they're playing in. But I think you guys got my point there. And I will also say Sarkeesian's officially on the clock when you land a recruit like this. To then, I mean, he's got the top five, to then join the upper echelon of recruiting, which he's doing right now. He's, he has had the week that you're supposed to have after adding an Arch Manning to your recruiting in. class. Yes. I, um, I had a Notre Dame fan, huge fan, friend of mine, reach out when Arch decided to go to Texas. He says, I wonder why Notre Dame wasn't more involved in his recruitment. I wonder why he didn't consider Notre Dame. And I'm thinking, a Manning is not voluntarily going north of the Mason-Dixon line to play college football. I mean, not going to a school that's not currently in the SEC was a big stretch, was a big shock when he went to Texas. But I don't see any member of the Manning family not playing Southern college football in some way. The Freddie Freeman Atlanta LA saga. (laughs) Um, So we, we ended last week's show discussing the presser where he's crying and he's emotional about his return to Atlanta and what the, what the team meant to him over the 14 years he spent there. We covered the, the recruitment process of Freddie Freeman to LA, but then also the odd the odd free agency discussion point of Freddie Freeman, what he meant to Atlanta, what he meant to the franchise, but the reports out there of what he was turning down and what he expected to get. He wanted that sixth year on his contract. Well, the weekend plays out. Clayton Kershaw is asked about Freddie Freeman after the series concludes, and he comes out and says, look, I'm glad this happened for him. I'm glad he can put this to bed. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, I hope we're not second fiddle. Talking about moving forward. Like, yeah. we have a pretty good team here. And that, well, you were we have wondering, a pretty good we team in this clubhouse. How do you feel if you're a Dodger after seeing oh, that? How do you not react the same way Clayton Kershaw did, saying, like, well, it's time for him. Uh, he's been performing well, and he has. But, but let's we, get past we're not this. second fiddle. We have a good organization. Right. We play for uh, a great city. We have a good home fan base. We shouldn't be second fiddle. And he's on a 12 game hitting streak, by the way, longest in the majors I was currently hitting, right now. Going Freddie into Freeman. the series, he was hitting nearly 430 over the previous seven games. Also, like he was hot. His going Atlanta in. replacement, Matt Olson, blasted two home runs last night in Philly in a win. Yeah. And has been playing really well lately, too. But here, the, the latest saga is yeah, Monday, he fires his agency that's representing him after he signs the contract in Los Angeles. And today, Chad, news is out about why he did so. From an odd source, too. Doug Gottlieb with the report. Um, His agent, uh, Close, never told, I want to get the the full name, uh, Casey Close, never told Freddie Freeman, this is directly from Doug Gottlieb, never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer. That is why Freeman fired him. He found out in Atlanta this weekend I guess, in talking to the Braves brass for the first time. And uh, this, and Gottlieb goes on to say, this is Gottlieb now, it isn't that rare to have happen in Major League Baseball, but it happened. Close knew Freddie would have taken the Atlanta deal, and that's why he did not tell him. It's just corrupt. About the final offer. It sounds corrupt to me. Isn't that rare? I mean, 
The agent works for the player. I, I don't understand how it's not that rare. I implore you, tell me everything. I, I don't I don't understand Look, how an agent – I mean, I don't know how if you are represented by Casey Close, which, by the way, Dansby Swanson, Atlanta Brave, is represented by Casey Close and said he has no designs on firing his agent. I don't know how you don't hear that and don't get immediately skeptical. Or call the guy and say, hey, here's this story. Don't ever do this to me. I want all the information. Even if you think that my heart's somewhere and I might do something that's not the most beneficial for you or for me. I'll decide. If you're projecting and saying, I'm not going to tell you that info because you're going to do something that's not best for you and I'm looking out for it. No, I need all the info going into anything. I don't know how he doesn't lose other clients based on this, quite frankly. So, and I understand why Freeman would be pissed and here's, have a second bout, but he didn't learn this until after on his way out of town. So he's saying he did well, not. Why, well, it's not why he was crying at the beginning. He didn't know. Well, he was crying at the beginning because he's returning to the place yeah. that he loved. Um, Maybe he found out right before but, the tears started, though. But too. It, he's saying he didn't know about the offer until now. Yeah. Didn't we know about the offer through media reports? Didn't Chipper Jones tell him about? You know what it would be like in Atlanta versus elsewhere, and the the contracts and the money. Like, well, this we, sounds like an offer he would have taken. How, so there was an offer on the I, table. I, he I didn't know about that. He but the take. reports, I mean, it was well known he wanted the sixth year, and Atlanta wasn't giving the sixth year. So what? Where's the disconnect with the reports months ago versus this knowledge? I think you know the the knowledge out there is that sometime around the All Star break of a year ago, the Braves were saying, "Here's what we want to do. Here's the offer." This is the offer, take it or leave it type deal. And that's where, if the timelines that I'm on is correct, that's where Chipper Jones spoke with Freddie Freeman and said, look, if you really want to be here, take this offer. Yeah. Because Alex Anthopoulos is not going to play around and this organization will not. They will move on. They will not be emotional about it. They want you, you want to be here, take this offer. It's a good offer if you want to stay. He didn't. Braves moved on. They trade for Matt Olson eventually when you know business is opened back up. Right. This report would lead me to believe there was something after that. That conversations continued. Maybe One they happened right final, when final business offer. opened back up, and they yeah. said, "All right, we'll do this." And whatever this was was not what Casey Close wanted, and it was enough well, to make so Freeman he go back. He we, didn't go back to Freeman and tell him that. There's no doubt that they overplayed their hand with whatever he was asking for versus what he received on the open market. He got the sixth year, but he's got a better deal in Atlanta. Um, but I, it, Casey, There's also Casey no... Close could have also, like, that. what he's saying is the final, final offer compared to the offer that he was told through his representation that he was signing in L.A. What, but there, was there any other bidding? Once you require Olsen... Was there any was there any other team other than LA that well, was going the, to bring the Red Sox were the one that was I mean reported that was in the game or interested but I, I didn't see many other teams out there it seemed like he had yeah, to go to LA man, and take odd. that offer and he didn't really negotiate against anyone else here's the other very awkward part of this and we saw it over the weekend um, he doesn't want to be a Dodger his heart is in Atlanta there's this confirms all of that. He has fired his agent and could possibly seek a lawsuit against him for misrepresenting him and not, you know, not abiding by the legal contract between the two 
if he's not disclosing information. Yeah. I don't know that he will, but he could. And he, he doesn't want to be a Dodger. I mean, he wants to be a Brave. He would still be an Atlanta Brave as we speak had he had the knowledge of that final offer. But if this report got, is true, he's got to, uh, he could be pissed as hell about it. He's got to come to terms with it, though. He's, he's got to play. Again, he's, like, on, he's on the you know, 12 game hitting streak. So he's come to terms with his play. He's playing like Freddie Freeman this season. So I don't know that it's affecting that. But man, that's, that's just a bitter pill to swallow if you're a fan of him. Yeah. If you're a Dodgers fan, it's awkward, but he continues to play well. But when he doesn't, what are people going to say? Go back to Atlanta. That's where your heart is. That's where you want to be. And then if you're a Braves fan that love Freddie Freeman, tough spot. And, and he certainly – it's believable whenever you get rid of the f- entire agency that represents you. Like, it's very public with, with how the saga has played out uh, over the last five days. I want to see if this agent has anything to say publicly. Oh, I'm, I mean – if you're the agency, your you have to come back out. Yeah, your reputation is and like, Especially with all the, the players that he represents moving forward, right? If you're holding back from Freddie Freeman. Well, I think you retweet the Doug Gottlieb report if it's a lie. And if you're the agency or Casey Close, say this is not true. The Braves offered, and I gave him every offer the Braves Here's had. why I was If fired. it's not true. This is right. not true. Here's, here's why I was fired. I was fired because I'm a Dodgers fan and I wanted <laughs> Freddie in L.A. But I gave him every offer the Braves made. Coming up, um, people continue to be stupid at Yellowstone. We'll tell you exactly why. Plus, a big guest tomorrow you're going to want to tune in for on Outkick 3. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Apparently there is a, there's a big issue with bison attacks at Yellowstone. Now kick 360 rolls on. There's been another attack. This one happened near Old Faithful. I've been there. So we, uh, in uh, Oklahoma, a couple months ago, we drove through a reserve and the bison are literally 10 feet, 15 feet away from the car. We're Did not getting out get of the nervous? car. We're not. No, no, they, they, they're to, to me. They're very similar to the way um, a, cow. a cow would yeah. react if I were on a four wheeler. Exactly. You know, but I'm not getting out of the car. No. And there are signs up that say, do not Don't. get out of the car, but I'm not dumb enough to do that. Apparently people are willing to go up to these bison. <laughs> these and, beasts. You know, they think they're Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> they're Teddy Roosevelt starting the yeah. national park system. It's not 1904, ladies no. and gentlemen. And you don't have a huge gun. You're not armed like Teddy Roosevelt was. <laughs> when he approached the bison, he was armed. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt knew how to, how, to, how to shoot a rifle. I mean, uh, I mean, just people are idiots. We say it all the time in all kind of contexts, but this is a, a super example. Like, what makes you think it's a good idea? Well, we were uh, when we were at Ober Gatlinburg, which I had such a terrible experience at, and talked about with the in Gatlinburg. There was a, a ride, a, an inner tube ride, shut down because there were three bears right next to it. Uh, but it was behind a net, and everyone was over there kind of watching it. And it, you know, it did cross my mind. I've got my seven-year-old daughter walking over there to see it. And I'm thinking, how close to the net 
do we get? There are three bears right there where they've shut it down. But everybody that works at the park is like, yeah, there's bears right over there. They're up in the tree. It's a mom and two cubs that are walking around. And I did walk over there to try to see it. Couldn't see anything by our the time friend, I got uh, over there. But you know, you probably should be a little bit careful. Quick story on uh, uh, so our, our buddy oh, locally here in Nashville News Channel 5, Nick Barris. He posted this, a story, I don't know if it was Yellowstone, but it was a national park. Someone left their car unlocked, doors shut, windows up, and there was a jar of peanut butter where they had been camping in the car. Somehow, this story doesn't end well, by the way, somehow the bear opened the door, got into the car, the door shut, and because of the heat, died in the car. But... The bear was able to open the unlocked car to get to the and get and and was able to get to the food and was just hanging out in the car and uh, heat exhaustion killed the animal. But I mean that's that is crazy stuff. That was just it was a warning to keep your car locked, not for robbery but for bears. Can you imagine the smell, poor guy, of a rotting, overheated bear in your car? Like yeah, you get back to the car, and, and I mean, you're going to immediately see that, it. Yeah. It's not going to take long to see a, a rotting bear car. The smell of a live bear would be pretty in bad, too, in your car. Yes. Uh, considering uh, there's no way out. And he probably releases all of his bodily fluids one, upon death. Two to go, yes. which also I mean, I'm imagining really the bear, you know, great. what if it's a young bear that's in the back seat, and there's like a bunch of junk in the back seat of the car, or in the back hatch, and someone gets the car, it's like, man... My, did I put deodorant on this bear, morning, or I does this car smell really, really bad? And they don't see the bear right away, and they have to go. Does someone someone go in this car and see if it smells really bad in the car? Oh, there's a dead bear in your hatch. <laughs> well, That's th- why. Think about opening your car and seeing the the bear. In the, it was laying across the console. That's a story. of the front seat and the back seat. I mean, That's a story I would, for a lifetime. That would be pretty traumatic. Like I would always, for a while, I'd still see that dead bear on my console every time I opened my car. If I saw that. I'm this way with snakes. You go in one spot where there's a snake coiled up. And it's always there. And every time I go in that spot ever again, in my mind, I'm looking for that snake. Or any other snake. We are back at it tomorrow. Mike Pereira will join the show. And we will also discuss the top storyline, as I see it, for the college football season for any individual player. Stetson Bennett will be a big discussion on this show. We hope you'll join us across the OutKick Network. Don't block the box, do lock the locks, and don't forget about Brittany Griner.